we were just so much into uh, proclaiming that. You know, I thought to myself, you know what? That's going to be true on Monday as well. Uh, and Tuesday and Wednesday and all through this week, uh, I, I ran across this particular quote about this week that follows Christmas. So if you'll bear with me, I want to read this uh, to you. It says this, um, We walk with Christ in his post-resurrection appearances, and as he sends his Holy Spirit to comfort, fill, and empower believers to go throughout the world with the message of his salvation and ultimate transformation. Eastern Christian churches lay aside the entire week following Easter, they call it Bright Week, to celebrate Christ's victory over death and his glorious resurrection. The Nicene Fathers wrote this, For a whole week the faithful in the holy churches should continually be repeating psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, rejoicing and celebrating Christ, and attending to the reading of the divine scriptures, and delighting in the holy mysteries. For in this way we shall be exalted with Christ, raised up together with him. In the West, the 50 days of Eastertide are celebrated as one continuously joyful feast called the Great Lord's Day. Fasting is forbidden as the faithful proclaim to the world that Christ has defeated the powers of darkness and open wide the gates of heaven. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Um, and so, you know, this truth remains until the day of Christ's return. Um, and I think that is our great hope. Um, Acts 1-9 says this, after And after Jesus had said these things, and the things that he had said was that he was going to promise to send his Holy Spirit, he was lifted up while they, they, the disciples, were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. You know, as uh, we look back across the history of the Bible and the fulfillment of promises and prophecies, and during the, and during the time of Jesus' life here on earth, we have a confidence in all those that have been proven just as foretold. The scriptures say in the story of Jesus' birth, when the angels spoke to the shepherds, this is the phrase that, that it says about that. It happened just as they said. Luke two fifteen. if I can read that to you, it goes like this. When the angels had returned to heaven, shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so the, they went and they saw and then they returned. And in verse 20, it says this about the shepherds. It says, The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Um, when Jesus foretold his sacrificial death and resurrection, 
As we heard last week, no one believed. Some even after seeing didn't believe. However, Matthew 28, 5 says this, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Uh, I hope you're beginning to see a theme here. Um, because things that were told to people that are recorded in the Bible, either promises uh, or specific words, they happened just as it was told. Uh, you know, we had, a, we had another kind of uh, admonition through the scriptures in Greg's message last week. Uh, it was to Clopas, but it probably is for us all. After he had encountered uh, the risen Christ on the Emmaus Road, uh, Jesus said this, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Uh, how much more the words of Jesus that we not neglect so great a salvation or the promises that he's made, like that he would give us the Holy Spirit, that he would return again. We're really blessed today to have the benefit of the scriptures, the history, and the work of the Holy Spirit to believe those things. And so, you know, now it's our turn to have a forward-looking faith in things spoken, things revealed, um, things yet to take place. And so I'm encouraged, and I want to encourage you to, let's not be slow of heart to believe those things yet promised. I'm going to give a really little example. Is Paul's example of a practical, forward-looking faith. Uh, in the midst of the stormy days at sea, this is what Paul says to the men on the, on the, on the boat. Acts 27, 22. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. And so a part of this introduction is to to, to trust the things that God has said in his scriptures and trust the things that he said to you personally. Um, since the beginning, all of God's words have been found to be true, reliable, trustworthy. In other words, worthy to be worthy of trust in his time. And that's key, in his time. Um, the Bible tells us It's God's privilege to conceal things, and it's a king's privilege to discover them. There are things concerning this Lord's present work which will stay concealed, and there are things for us to search out, and some things will remain a mystery. Just like the fullness of the understanding of the gospel, it remained hidden until Paul's time, and that understanding was revealed in God's time. One can search and one will find out what the scripture is given permission to reveal. And so our position 
is to embrace the search and at the same time to be humble like David was in Psalm 131. And so I'm not going to read that psalm. That's your homework. It's very short. Uh, go and uh, mark that down, Psalm 131. That's also the attitude we're to have as well. So it's important then right now for us to be fully convinced of God's faithfulness, and this is of necessity our first requirement. Secondly, it's important for us to meditate and act on what he has already revealed. This is true for you and me personally, and also as his body here at Gateway. Um, I, I just wanted to kind of look back over some of the messages that we've gotten over the last half of a year just to see uh, and re- reinforce the fact that God sees where we are. God is giving and has been giving us words of encouragement, and he's been giving us words of preparation. Um, has he not renewed an awareness of the work of the Holy Spirit and our need of the Spirit's leading and presence for fruitfulness and true power, both within ourselves and as ambassadors. We've had a renewed interest in that. Has he not remained us that everything flows from God's covenant with Abraham? It was a message that Greg gave. The basis for this enduring commitment and relationship and in recent for his promises comes out of that. I, I, I remember I was uh, doing some YouTube YouTubing, and I came across this uh, prayer by, uh, it was during the Easter weekend, um, by one of the leaders in Israel. And he was in this prayer, he was reminding God of his covenant with their forefathers. And that same covenant, the covenant with Abraham, is, is true for us as believers today. Has, has God not reminded us of God's promises to bring hope? Randy and Tim both have spoken about that over the last months. Has he not reminded us of a living hope, a priceless inheritance kept in heaven beyond reach of change and decay? Uh, has he not encouraged us that we were born for such a time as this? Camille spoke in her message about the privilege of living into today in God's grace. This is our time. Um, has he not presented us with a question uh, earlier this year? Are you ready for change? Are you ready to become another person? God, Allowing God to work and his word to change us. Has he not also reminded us of our gateway commissioning verse in Isaiah 62? There's another. Uh, uh, some of you were at Crossway for these last two thoughts, but... Uh, Reread, reread it, Isaiah 62. Um, I think one of the things that I'm impressed with is some of the things that are in that verse, we need a new uh, infusion of understanding the authority and the power of the Spirit of God to, to, to move away stones and to clear a highway. Um, has he not charged us to take up our weapons of warfare in the, and the importance of prayer, uh, as Randy said, to buck up. And has he not, this one is the one that, for me, has he not at least four times this year 
corporately put Psalm 46 in front of us. Mm -hmm. What is he trying to say through that Psalms that we've had that thing spoken at that many times? Is it more than just be still? You know, another translation of that says, cease striving. Let's reread that psalm and see what the Lord is really wanting to, to encourage us with and prepare us for. The main thing is, He sees us and He cares for us. Um, I, I, I've heard this so many times that this pandemic has been characterized as a, as a pause. And, you know, in some ways it's true. Uh, like Bill was just saying earlier in his prayer, many of us aren't as consumed with our normal required activities. And we have time to pause and reflect, to, to give our attention in greater measure to other things. Um, I think the main thing here is the Lord is trying to help us prioritize what those other things are, uh, maybe to the extent of changing our lifestyle as we come through this thing. There are many of us that are still working, though, even though our location or our environment might have changed. But we all have these bigger questions in our minds. What's going on? When will this end? What is his purpose behind all this? How is this going to change my life? Um, I would just encourage you, uh, if you remember when people asked questions of Jesus, he often gave an answer that didn't seem like an answer, but he would answer the question behind the question or the root issue, or he would expand the horizon of the questioner. These are the kind of answers that we're probably going to be hearing from the Lord, not just a simple, uh, direct answer as some of those questions would, would have us to have. And the other thing I think we know, but we sometimes forget many people are not on a pause at all. The frontline workers, the suppliers, people in food supply, leaders of government and business, um, they are they are busy. My brother um, David, he's he's a, he's a city manager. He said, "I'm working harder than I've ever worked before now." And I, I went for a walk the other night. Um, uh, and it was completely dark. I was coming up from the subdivision that's next to mine, and there was a lady going out to her mailbox around 9 o'clock, and I just stopped and, and said hi and asked her if she was doing okay. And she said, I'm really tired. You want to know the truth? She said, I've worked 26 straight days without a day off. And so there are people out there that are finding themselves absolutely overwhelmed and taxed beyond what they thought they would ever be. People are having to look for strength outside themselves. They're having to look for wisdom outside themselves. They're having to look for compassion outside themselves. Uh, when you see people uh, dying every day, multiple deaths, it's it's probably difficult to, to stay compassionate. And so uh, there are so much going on in the world today, and God is working in so many different ways where people are, um, and depending on a person's circumstances. He's also, we know he's working in nations. He's exposing motive. He's exposing strengths and weaknesses. 
He's at work revealing what people and nations actually are putting their trust and faith in. He's working on and in and through the church as well. Um, you know, we're all interested in what he's up to. Uh, obviously, <laughs> there are big, broad, far-reaching, multifaceted activities in the earth and as we now understand from Randy's message and in the heavenlies. But, but what does it really matter if you and I miss his appointed activity for you and me? Um, yeah, he, he wants to change the church. He wants to change nations. He wants to see cultures change. But that's done by changing you and me. Unless, um, of course, we're just content to be pulled or dragged along and, and left behind rather than kind of being in the forefront or uh, as we, we really want to be in the battle, so to speak, moving in the Lord's purposes in the earth today. Now, you know, um, Hebrews chapter 11 holds up all these noteworthy examples of pe- people of faith, people who didn't receive what was promised, um, but, but a faith which at least when I look at them and I look at me sometimes puts my, my faith to shame. But the, the writer of Hebrews makes this amazing statement. He says, God provides something better for us so that apart from us, they, those people in chapter 11, should not be made perfect. They wouldn't be made perfect apart from us. They are referred to as a great cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us. They're watching. The the baton of faith has been handed down to you and me. It's our turn to run the race of faith. They are at the finish line waiting to receive all who bring with them the fullness of those promises to share. You know, Hebrews goes on and says, we're to lay lay aside every encumbrance Another translation says, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, every, especially every sin that easily trips us up. You know, as many paradoxes of the Bible, we're to run our own race of faith, and we're to run it together. So looking at first things, first things is, what about you and me? Yeah, we're going to see the world change, but... You know, as we've been talking about for four or five weeks now, how about you and me? What's God wanting to say and quicken and reveal and accomplish within me for the purpose of using me to be a blessing around the world, uh, to prepare me for the spiritual war ahead, and even for the one we're in the midst of now? Um, So that's the introduction. Uh, so we're going to get to the scripture. It's a really uh, uh, a familiar story, and we're going to look at it hopefully uh, not for information this morning, but for a response. And so, if you want to turn in your Bibles and follow along, or if you want to um, just listen, it's John chapter five, the first eighteen verses. John chapter five, verses one through eighteen. And I'll, get, and I'll give you just a minute here to find that if you're... I've got you all blocked, so I don't know if you're asleep or looking for your Bible or not, I'm, I'm, so I can see my message. Um, 
So let's start. John chapter 5, verse 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was a Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It's the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But the man answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working unto now, and I myself am working. Um. The story sets up an encounter for Jesus to reveal who he is, the Son of God. And his claim was proven, just as he said, proven by his resurrection. Today, we're going to be looking at a portion to focus on a few things. Um, Really, only one in response to this account of Jesus' life. But here's the scene. Uh, Jerusalem is a walled city. It has gates in order to go in and out of that city. The gates have different names as identifiers. There's an east gate, there's a fountain gate, there's an old gate, there are lots of gates, and there's a sheep gate. We, we use the same kind of identifiers today. If you want to go to the Outer Banks, you either use the Wright Memorial Bridge or you use the Bonner Bridge. If you want to come into Raleigh, if you're coming in on the west side, you use I-40. You, you get the picture. So this particular scene takes place at near the Sheep Gate. Um, and you can imagine what that gate is probably used for. Uh, it was there because that is probably where the sheep were brought into the city for sacrifice. It's on the north side of, of, of the city, and it's one that's one of the ones that's closer to the temple. Now, there was a pool that was located. Your Bible may say in the city, but it was in the city in David's time, but it was outside the city in Jesus' time. It was the the, the closer in walls. And so 
The pool is located outside the city walls. And you can see why this would be a gathering place for the, the, the sick and the lame and the paralyzed. The, the religious leaders would have made it that way because they wouldn't want these kind of people so close to the temple. Their place, of course, was outside. Um, so there were five covered porches um, around the pool. The pool's name was Bethesda. Uh, if you hyphen if, if you hyphenate the word word in the Hebrew, Beth Hesda uh, means house of mercy or house of grace. And so here we have all these people around this pool with that name. There are lots of people, many people, and there's one that had been there for 38 years. And so this is the scene, and we find here that Jesus goes to a place where people are waiting to be healed. Jesus goes near the sheep gate. The good shepherd goes near the sheep gate. We also see that, uh, I don't know, I didn't um, omit verse 4, but in the oldest um, manuscripts, it's not there. And so uh, a lot of the commentators think that it probably was an explanatory note to try to explain verse 7 in better detail. But uh, and then at some later date it was inserted as part of the scripture. The other thing we see there are lots of people that were lying around. Now, so here's Jesus. He comes on this scene. Um, you know, in in the other uh, instances that are recorded about Jesus and his interaction with healing, almost everyone was brought to him. Uh, in this instance. He went to a particular person. Rather than having somebody being brought to him or a person coming to him or someone requesting that he come to a friend or a relative. So we have many people there. Um, He chose to encounter only one. He left before the person even knew who he was. So what do we want to glean from this, this little story today? Here's... Here's the things that I just want to encourage you to see about, not only about Jesus, but about the Godhead itself. If we look at his interactions in verses 6 through 9, Jesus says this. He says he sees he does only what he sees his father doing. So that gives us a good idea that these are the, thing, that these are the things that, that, the Father is wanting to do. He tells his disciples in John 15 that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so what can we see about the Father through this story in Jesus? Well, uh, three things uh, that I want to kind of point out about this God that we believe and serve. First, we can see his knowledge. He saw the man, and he knew the man, and he knew this about the man. He knew the man had been there a long time. He even knew the man had been sick for a long time, 38 years. He knew the man had been coming there for a long time. He knew the man had been waiting there for a long time. And he knew the man had not given up up hope of being healed for a long time. In other words, Jesus knew the man's situation. God knew the man, his situation, and he saw him in the multitude. 
So I just want to encourage you that God knows your situation. He sees you where you are. In the midst of six billion people, he sees you. Uh, one of my favorite um, verses uh, of recent time is Psalms 37:23, and I like the way it's written in the New, uh, New Living Translation. It says this, Psalm 37:23, The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and this is the part that really has been such a comfort. He delights in every detail of their lives. Um, you know, how much does God see us? Um, Psalm 139, 1 through 6. We're going we're gonna to take a moment just to read that because it's, it's a good thing for us to continue to remember. David said in 139, 1 through 6, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You might see that attitude in Psalm 121 as well uh, when you look it up this afternoon. So he sees us, each one of us, and he sees us as a, as a, as a fellowship as well. So we see here that God has knowledge. Jesus had knowledge of this man before he ever interacted with him. Next, we see with that knowledge, every detail of his life, he knows everything. He knows our thoughts, good and bad. Um, he knows every word that's on our tongue. We see in this thing Jesus' compassion. Um, Jesus is really intentional. He didn't lose his way around Jerusalem. He didn't stumble upon Bethesda's this pool. He didn't just wander through, oh, I haven't been through the sheep gate in a while. Let me go out here and see what's going on. Um, he didn't, in this particular case, have a general compassion for the masses. He saw one man, one man in his needful condition, and that's the man that he went to. He didn't announce, hey, everybody, I'm the healer. I've come to town. Um, Give me your attention. It wasn't as though everybody was looking at him. He picked out this one man and he knew him. And he entered into that man's life without an invitation. Um, he entered out, he entered in with the man not even knowing who he was or asking who he was. Jesus was the initiator. And what's interesting to me, as far as we know, there was no warm up conversation. He just asked him, First, the first question, do you wish to get well? Would you like to get well? Now, it's amazing to me, too, that Jesus' compassion wasn't conditioned on the man's response. He remained compassionate, even though the man did not answer Jesus' question, but gave, really kind of gave an excuse or a reason. Well, in case you haven't noticed, 
uh, this is the situation here, uh, man, whoever you are. Uh, what should have been what? An immediate answer of yes, I want to be healed. Instead, he gave this excuse. Jesus didn't withdraw compassion uh, or purpose in, in his intentionality to simply because it didn't seem like this man had faith in the moment. Um, you know, some people uh, just want to be made comfortable. They don't necessarily want to be made whole. Uh, some people want to explain to God why they haven't responded early. But Jesus has an enduring compassion when he sets his heart on something. Um, he had displayed compassion all throughout his life. Yes, he, he got angry, but he, he was compassionate with people that were needy. Uh, God in many instances has done the same thing and exhibited that same compassion throughout the scriptures. Um, you know, it's interesting if you um, go back to Exodus and um, Moses asked to see God's glory. God, show me your glory. And what's the first thing God says about himself? He says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, compassionate and gracious. Uh, that's who he is. A first note, compassionate and gracious. What does the Hebrew say about Jesus as a perfect high priest? He was one who had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become merciful and faithful in the things pertaining to God. So we can see that God is both merciful and gracious. So he's all-knowing. He's compassionate. And lastly, we see here his power, which Bill sung about uh, earlier. Um, Jesus said, Arise, take up your pallet or your bed, and walk. It was instant. It was an immediate response to sit of sickness. Sickness was immediately changed to wellness, physical wholeness. And we just hope we see this in the whole story of God, the power of God and the authority of God being sovereign. It's over and over we see it against physical infirmity. infirmity. Many came and were healed. We see it over nature. The wind and the waves immediately calm. We see it over demons and evil spirits. The garrison demoniac, the boy who threw himself in the fire, calm and in their right mind. We see it over death. Lazarus, come forth. Do we remember from Roger's message? Um, and so here we see this is the God, a God that's all-knowing, a God that's compassionate, and a God who is powerful. And we move on here to the responses that were involved here in the latter part of this thing. The man's immediate response to this display of power, he rolled up his bed and walked. And where did he go? He went to the temple where Jesus later found him. And you also see almost an immediate challenge to his action of faith and obedience. And that's what happens. When we step out in the word of the Lord, we will be challenged. We will be challenged. That's just a part of living in a fallen world, whether it be by people 
sometimes people in the church, sometimes the enemy himself. Um, but Jesus responds. He, he, he found that man in the temple, and he said, Look, your healing, the purpose of your healing was to move you towards holiness, to set you apart. Look, you've been touched by God. Now buck up and stop sinning. He called him into a place of holiness to be set apart. And what did he say to the Pharisees who also challenged Jesus? He said, look, my father is working unto now, and I myself am working. I can only say what the father says. I can only do what I see the father doing. Um, So here we are. This is really what I wanted to share this morning. And then how... How can we apply this to ourselves? Obviously, I've had a lot more time to think about this passage and how it applies to me uh, than than you all have just in hearing at one time. But um, I, I trust it will take some time, and if we and, and you'll take some time if, if the Lord has just been quickening something within you this afternoon. But it's our time to respond. It can just be information or review information for those of us that have read this story so many times. Or it can be illumination. It can be something God reveals that our response can then be an impartation. It can be freedom. It can be healing. It can be courage. Whatever it is, uh, when we act upon But first we have to have a transparency and an open heart and a quietness to hear what it is he would have us to glean from that. We all want to know what God's up to these days. And we know it's going to bring some personal adjustments. We want to know about his dealings with the world. We want to know about his dealings with the nations and the church. But all that really presumes that he's finished with you and me. But we're the building blocks for all the other larger groups. And so what is important and preparatory for what he will do next is what he is doing or wanting to do within you and me now in these days. What is it that is needful to move us into deeper places of holiness, to be set apart even more for his purposes, for being made more whole and healed to be a blessing? Uh, I'm going to summarize just as making some some points here, and then I'll turn it over to Bill because Bill, you're you're just so much better at bringing us into places of response than me. But uh, let me set that up uh, this way: Jesus, which we proclaim is risen indeed, now sits at the right hand of the Father. The promised Holy Spirit is now his earthly representative of the Godhead. And I'm pretty certain that the Holy Spirit's actions and activity is much the same as Jesus. God is working until now, and I, the Spirit, am working. God knows you and your situation. He knows everything about you, your struggles, your desire, the things you you keep coming back to him with over and over. He knows those parts of our hearts that are still sick. He knows all the ways and places where we are spiritually blind, spiritually lame and paralyzed, unable to move on, to move on or to move out with Him. He's still compassionate and gracious. 
just as he complained to Moses. He doesn't change. He still moves in the world and the nations with the power of his word. And in the midst of these six billion people, as said earlier, he sees you. And we must grow in recognizing and obeying his voice. I had to smile to myself when uh, Tia shared his thundering voice and um, I think Carla, maybe it was you that amen, amen, because we have to recognize his still small voice, a whisper. Psalm 46, be still. You have got to be still and listen to hear a whisper. You and I have to say unreservedly, yes, when he comes and says, do you want to get well? Do you want to overcome and move out in new places spiritually? That's where we are. That's what I think at this point. Um, if you haven't already, in the next two to four weeks of uh, our restricted lifestyle, um, the question that he's posing to us all. Uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you um, that you meet us where we are, each one at a different place, each one of us in different circumstances, each one of us with different longings to move forward from being indifferent and apathetic all the way to Lord crying for newness of spirit and renewal of spirit within our hearts. And so I pray you take us, Father. You come and you see us in the multitude. And you ask that question that you need to ask us. And Father, we won't make excuses, but we'll say, yes, have your way. Have your way in our midst. In the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> you know, Preston, sometimes I, I think we believe that the, the greatest work of God is external to ourselves. Until you realize how much He has to do within our own hearts. When we sang that word... Um, On the cross of Calvary, every burden has been defeated, every wretched heart redeemed. That word wretched and I have a long history. Sometimes the greatest work God wants to do is within your heart. And to think that he would shut down the whole world for the purpose of redeeming our hearts shows you how much he loves you, how much he loves us. So how will you respond to his call here this morning? Will you have a forward-looking faith Will you acknowledge that maybe the places you have gone for comfort are not the places that God would have you go for comfort? Or where you have gone seeking courage are not necessarily the places that God would have you go seek courage? Or where you have gone to to feel, to feel loved and to receive love, maybe they're not what God would have you do. How will you respond? 
with financial needs pressing in perhaps, health needs pressing in, spiritual needs. reminded of that song we used to sing because he lives Mm. we always say I can face tomorrow but because he lives I can forgive others because he lives I can love unreservedly because he lives I can serve others without being reconciled recognized this is the newfound power that he he wants for us to have such a wholeness in our hearts that we can be poured out wine and broken bread and and not have something that comes back to us to feel a place that we're needy. We're filled up with, with the security of who He's called us to be and an identity in Him. And He wants us all in that place. Not so we can be glorified ourselves because we can bring him glory uh, in living up to the full measure of the stature that he's called us to. So who is ready to go to the to Bethesda, the house of mercy? Uh, we have a, we have a wonderful savior. We have a glorious Lord and Savior. Go to Him for comfort. Go to Him for courage. Go to Him for love and for every need. Every need is met in Christ. And Preston, I appreciated how you compared and contrasted the ones who have worked 26 days in a row versus the ones who are out of work and how the pressure is different. Sometimes the pressure is for strength to carry on and sometimes the pressure is to believe God and trust Him for resources, for finances and provision. It seems that the Lord presses sometimes the very place that He wants to show himself Redeemer. Church, how would you respond? Does anyone have a comment or confession? to unmute before you talk. This this is a time that shows us how important it is to be together yeah. physically, to hold one another and pray for one another. Yeah. It's like you just want to be able to reach out and embrace each other. Yeah, reach out and touch, right? Exactly. Reach out and touch. Uh, so maybe one of those ways is... Um, you know, as we share here and, and close that, um, 
you call somebody this afternoon, will you pray with me? Uh, you know, if you if you want, that's the best we can do at this time. Is call somebody and pray over the phone. If you don't want to pray in a big group, you know. So, uh, but now is the time to share anything that uh, you want to share. Depends on how transparent want people want to be with a big group. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>